Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is now just hours away from the biggest game in world football, which means I am an hour away from heading to the pub. I'm Kevin Day, <laughs> he's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, fresh back from a research trip to Scotland. Kieran, did you did you enjoy an Arbroath smoky? I did, I did. Uh, Arbroath is a wonderful town. Uh, Arbroath is a fantastic example of a club that gives to the community and looks after its people and provides entertainment. We, we saw a wonderful game of football. The Smokies were great. The fish and chips was great. The people were great. Um, the, the only slight complication was that we mm. were staying in a hotel in Dundee. Mm. Uh, I was taking taking the Baroness away for you know, a romantic few days. She, she, she has to put, a, put up with an awful lot. Um and uh, in every single bedroom, there is a photograph of Dennis the Menace above the bed. And, well, you, you, you can't, Kevin. It gives you stage fright. If you know what I mean? It was just one of those really awkward situations. Like, I, I just, I, it, 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 was, it was very, very restrictive. I'll say no more than that. Kieran, seriously now, both, both of us spent our formative years going out with young girls from the Catholic faith. And if you can do it in front of the Pope and the Virgin Mary, Kieran, you can <laughs> do it in front of Dennis. Uh, I've also won a fiver from Ali because Ali said, don't say to Kieran, did you enjoy an Arbro Smokey? Because he will invariably turn it into a sexual euphemism. And he didn't. Well done. <laughs> uh, I, I'd be I'm quite excited. I'll be seeing you later on before the game and uh, hopefully not afterwards unless it's to gloat. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's questions day. Oh, you know, the thought that you could go top of the Premier League if we don't beat you is a distressing one. Well, no, we got to win. If, if we draw, we, we don't go top. No, that's all right. Okay. What happens if you lose? Do you get relegated? <laughs> Only in your mind. <laughs> it's questions day, Kieran, but for the second week running, I don't know how many we'll get through because it's been a busy old week news-wise. Apologies to anybody who's waiting in suspense for another week to hear your question. Don't blame me. Blame Fleetwood and Barcelona. Which is not, <laughs> I, it's a sentence I don't think I've ever used before, Kieran. But uh, firstly, Kieran, some big stories. A couple of cracks, maybe, in the gambling dam because the government could ban foreign betting firms from sponsoring the shirts of British clubs and Bolton Wanderers announced that they will no longer provide any on-site betting at their ground or enter into any new commercial partnership or sponsorship with gambling firms. Now, the the on-site betting at the ground is less of a story because most people who want to gamble will do it on their phone anyway. But this announcement that they won't enter into any sponsorship with gambling firms is, a, is a, actually a big one, isn't it? Yes, and... Um... They are they are following other clubs. Uh, we have yeah. seen Luton, Tranmere, yeah. uh, Forest Green Rovers uh, do it in in EFL clubs. They feel a, a sense of unease with uh, uh, with the close relationship between gambling and uh, and football. So um, you know it could end up costing them some money, uh, and, and times are tight. So you've got to give the clubs some credit there. Clearly, they are also playing in the Sky Bet English Football League and yeah, yeah. the EFL. You know, have, have dare reasons. They say, well, at the end of the day, we don't care where the money comes from. We, we, we're just going to take it. Until it's illegal, we're going to take it. Um, so so that's that's the Bolton uh, issue. In terms of the front of shirt bans, you, you're right about these white label uh, gambling companies. And we're probably talking somewhere in the region of six to ten million pounds a year. Wow. So, yeah, and that that covers around about half the, uh, the you know half the clubs in the Premier League. So it is it is significant. Of course, there are other sponsors in the Championship. It's substantially less because you know no disrespect to people in the Championship, but you're you're not playing Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool, and you're not getting all of the um, yeah. The, the reason why these white label uh, betting companies are so keen to have an association with the uh, with clubs in the Premier League is that Asia is a huge market mm. uh, for gambling, uh, and we know that uh, when, when when these clubs are playing the likes of Manchester United and Liverpool and so on, that they get big viewing figures. So um, 
if it is just going to be a front of shirt ban, in my view, the uh, the British gambling companies will be absolutely cock a hoop. Right, and and the reason for why I say that is they don't sponsor front of shirt. Yeah, with the exception of Stoke, who have a you know parent relationship with Stoke City, so they they wouldn't be particularly bad bothered. Um, they're already generating around about you know, and this is around about two hundred and forty billion pounds in in wages a year, which yeah. is you know as we said you know twice the NHS budget. So you know gambling is uh, gambling is big money. I know that some of that money is recycled. I know some of that's coming from overseas, but it's still a huge a huge issue. Um, we presently have something called a whistle to whistle ban. In matches, and and this is this, this is this is sort of this is one of these things which sounds a lot bigger than it actually is. Whistle to whistle ban means half time, doesn't it? Yeah. So, um, and you're you're still allowed to sponsor matches, even if you don't formally advertise them. So there's there's nothing there's nothing much of an issue there. I think if if it's just going to be front of shirt bans and it doesn't include perimeter advertising, and most of all, it doesn't include broadcast advertising, then it's it, it's just populist tokenism, right? Um, because people tend to gamble because they're encouraged to do so through the, you know the constant advertisements and the offers, um, and so on. Uh, so I, I think a front of shirt ban will be worst of both worlds in the sense that a the football industry, which which the gambling industry makes a fortune out of, ends up with less money. Um, and B, the gambling companies, the, the the domestic ones, they don't they don't advertise anyway. So therefore, they're not going to. Yeah, you know, the issues of problem gambling in this country are not being addressed by a front of shirt ban unless it is a part of something on a much broader scale. Just remind us what you mean by a white label gambling company, Kieran. A white label gambling company is where you have these companies. You know, man bet, love bet, yeah, you know, bet. You know, I, 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 I don't really know the full details. Um, and they, they don't properly have a uh, have a presence in the UK. But what they will do is that they will set up a sort of a nominal website which does diddly squat. Uh, but their main target is in respect of overseas uh, viewers and 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 overseas gamblers. Uh, talking of shirts, Kieran, and I'm well aware that I have the crowbar out here, but I couldn't find another place to mention it. Uh, a, a big thank you is due to Huddersfield Town this weekend, who may or may not have heard our interview with uh, Catherine from Colourblind Awareness, but they announced this week that they were changing their kit to make sure that uh, people with colour uh, problems uh, wouldn't struggle in the Swansea-Huddersfield game. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Well, well done, Huddersfield Town. Yeah, um, it's uh, uh, it's superb. I, I, I think I think Catherine was absolutely amazing. The feedback we had yes. following her interview, and, and I think similar to what what you said at the time, Kevin, you 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 know it, it, it is treated as a uh, first of all, it, it is not a major condition. Let let's be honest. You know, I've, yeah, I've, I've lived with it for sixty years. It's it's a uh, it's more than an inconvenience at times. Um, and it's something which can be addressed and make everything good for everybody at the ground in terms of colour vision for, uh, by, by just a couple of simple steps. And the fact that Huddersfield Town have taken that into consideration and uh, changed their kit for Saturday, absolutely magnificent. You know, keep it up, Huddersfield. Hats doffed in your direction. And, and it's very simple to do. That's the bizarre yes. thing, isn't it? As, yes, absolutely. As, as Catherine said, it doesn't take a lot of doing. Um, I believe, Kieran, this is our first visit to this club. And if it's his, it's been worth the wait because it's a doozy. It, the, the owner of Fleetwood Town has appeared in court accused of fraud and money laundering. So he's, he's, you know, he's kept his own counsel for 18 months while we've done this pod and decided to burst into the world of the price of football with, with a rather flamboyant piece of work. If, if you're going to do it, do it in style. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, and hats off to, to Andy Pilly. Um, 
for uh, for this particular story. So uh, Andy Pilly is a, uh, I think it's fair to say, a successful owner of some energy companies. Mm. Um, and um, there's there's two court cases. I, I dug into this um, a little bit more deeply, and, and we'll come on to the impact on Fleetwood in just a little while. Um, there's some sort of dispute between trading standards um, and some of Andy Pilly's energy companies with regards to th- the sale of energy products. Um, and as a consequence, there, there is now, he is now in court with regards to, to these fraud and money laundering charges, which which is nothing to do with the football club, as far right. as I can make out. Okay. Um, there have been issues to do with money laundering and football clubs historically. Uh, we know that one of the owners of a well-known club in the Midlands, not in the East Midlands, I stress to add, um, <laughs> uh, ended up in jail. Um, I am aware of another uh, historically big club who had uh, very close links to money laundering uh, uh, in respect of criminal gangs to the, to such an extent that uh, – uh, they uh, they even placed some employees there uh, in, in in the club to, to keep an eye on things, and um, so so there's there's so you know, m- money laundering is probably more difficult these days because it's a lot more complicated to to fiddle the crowds in the glory days because sometimes right. you, you go to a ground and they say oh there's twenty one thousand I go twenty one thousand where. And then you realise that actually, when, when you worked out who the clubs were, um, that they were deliberately overstating attendances because that allowed them to take extra money to claim that as gate receipts. Well, yeah, there was. I think every club has its urban myth. Well, a fan will tell you the the two the turnstiles that are not connected to the actual count. That's the turnstile where you go through and it doesn't count anybody. Everywhere, every club has that. I have to say, Kieran, I, I think. New listeners in particular would be slightly surprised to hear of the almost casual way in which we're talking about football being historically linked to to money laundering because it's it's quite a big thing to accuse clubs. I mean, are we talking huge syndicated money laundering worldwide things here, or like local attempts to to avoid income tax or just hide a few bob that's been got from a nefarious cause? Um, well, it's. It's actually took the, the, you, you make reference to the the turnstiles that are not connected. This is actually overstating the turnstiles. Oh, because, of course, yes, because, of course. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, you're actually pretending that there's more people in the ground. Um, there, football, as we know, has always been. You know, it's 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 got a glamorous image. You know, you and I are old enough to remember when football clubs were owned by you know local haulage firms and people that supplied dodgy meat to schools for dinners Bob, and yeah. Bob Lord. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. friend, yeah. Um so so it, it it's not uh, it's it's not unusual, it's certainly not unusual overseas as well as the UK. Um but also in, in respect of Andy Pilly, um there's another story going around that his dispute appeared to be with trading standards and he is now uh, he is now claiming that um, there has there's effectively been some sort of you know, somebody offered to put a contract out on him and Crikey. to assassinate him for five hundred thousand pounds. Crikey. which is you know which is you know there's is no laughing matter. And um, I, I spoke to members of the family to sort of see if you know five hundred grand. That's well, that's yeah, that's pretty steep. Yeah, you know, but. Uh, but that, yeah, that that those are the claims that have been uh, made, um, which which does seem very bizarre, and, and you know, but at the same time, if if yeah, they, they've got to be taken seriously. Of course. Um, but in terms of Fleetwood, and you say yeah, first time, first time appearance, I think on the show. Um, you when you then dig into the numbers, Fleetwood Town, you just think it was you know lovely, lovely little Lancashire. Area, uh, they've done well to to get as far as they have done, um, but they're losing a hundred grand a week. And oh, you go, what? hundred grand a week, mm. and and uh, they've got debts of over twenty one million pounds to companies controlled by Andy Pilly. So you go, go, wow, 
blimey, you know, those, you know, these are serious numbers. Now, you know, there's nothing wrong with him supporting his uh, his local club, and and you know, I, you know, I'm we we both are beneficiaries of of people that have come in and have put put their money where their mouth in, as far as our clubs are concerned. Um, but this one, you know, I, I was staggered when I sort of you know started digging out the numbers, and uh, that that's uh, that's an awful lot of that's an awful lot of dosh for a club that's you know got limited attendances, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nice little ground and so on. Um, so you know, it's 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 a big financial commitment. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I always shudder slightly when I hear the name Fleetwood. I'm sure it's a lovely town, but it's where my tax office is. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, it used to be in Sutton, uh, and this is true, but they moved me to Fleetwood because they thought the people at Sutton were getting too sympathetic. There's a kind of tax office, <laughs> the kind of tax office Stockholm syndrome going on. Um, this is a big broadcasting story, Karen. We, of course, we'll keep an eye on the Fleetwood uh, story because I had no idea the numbers were that big for a club of that size. But the global streaming service uh, DAZN is an advanced talks to buy BT Sport. And I'm guessing you're talking a hell of a lot of money here, aren't we? Um, yeah, I, I think it would be a big deal. I mean, uh, BT, that they have said, I think their chief exec has said, you know, they want to withdraw from sport. They want to focus on telephony, broadband, you know, those type of services and, and the sport, doesn't really fit particularly well, but uh, you know they, they presently have a contract uh, to, to broadcast the Champions League for the next three years. That's that's costing them four hundred million pounds per annum. The Premier League is is pretty close to that, um, so you know it it, it would be a, a pretty big deal. Um, we we spoke to our our friends in broadcasting. Um, the, the first thing I was trying to get right is how how do you pronounce? Is it is it dozen or is it D A Z? I I got very confused. I I started thinking of the Dirty Dozen, and of course, then I was sort of go go reminiscing about Lee Marvin and Telly Savalas and Charles Bronson in one of what oh, I consider that, to be the greatest movies of all time. That that was a relief. That you were thinking of that Dirty Dozen. That's good. Oh no, I've seen the other one as well. <laughs> How do you pronounce it? Is it a name? Is it initials? I think it's meant to be sort of Dazon or, you know, some, okay. but, but I'm just not street enough to know how to do it properly. <laughs> um, listen, when you say BT say sport doesn't fit well, is that because it's not making as much money for them as they thought it would? Yeah, I, I, I don't think subscriber numbers are are huge. Um, you know, I've... I've cancelled my subscription to it. I just, you know, for for I'm not particularly interested in the Champions League, and if I am, mm. I'll, I'll just get a monthly pass. So, um, but I think there's some interesting issues from from the Premier League's point of view because BT presently pay more into the uh, into UEFA's pot than any other broadcaster. And the reason why that's important is that the way that UEFA distribute the money is that they've got four or five different pots, and one of which is, is a pool of money. And the more your domestic broadcaster puts in, the more your four Premier League clubs, and potentially, of course, your could be a couple of Scottish clubs, will be able to take out. So uh, you know, if, uh, if DAZN... Don't pay as much into it in future years. That will have an implications. As far as the Premier League is concerned, um, we know that the Premier League has rolled over the TV rights um, uh, for the next three years to take them to, I think, to 2025 with both Sky and BT. But according to our sources, there will be something called a change of control clause. Oh. And what what this means is if the ownership of either Sky or BT does change, then the Premier League is entitled to, but doesn't have to, walk away with the deal. Now, Sky actually changed ownership a couple of years ago, I think. I may mm. be wrong in this, but I think that they're now owned by a, a new US company. So, you know, that didn't stop the Premier League. Um, and I think that if, uh, if DAZN are thinking of taking over, the price they will pay will very much be linked to will there be a commitment from the big six clubs in the Premier League 
to stay in the Premier League. Otherwise, you know, you're ending up paying you know, paying a lot for a company for a load of rights, and of course, then they go and leg it and they form their own competitions. Yeah, you know, we've seen with Super League, we've seen with uh, with with, the, with with their other ideas that uh, that they could be off ski. So. Um, there's certainly talk between the two parties. I think there are there are issues because, um, and and it's actually nothing to do with football. It's to do with boxing. I think uh, DAZN presently have a contract with uh, with with, uh, with Barry Hearn or Barry Hearn's lad, and uh, I think BT have got one with Frank Warren, uh, and those two don't like each other. To put it mildly. Oh, no. So, so that could cause one or two issues. Um, you know, ultimately, what do we care about from a consumer point of view? What about subscriptions? Well, DAZN have, have recently put up their subscription from £1.99 to £7.99 a month. So if we think we're going to get this on the cheap, I suspect it's not going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But it, it could they could be trying to build up market share, in which case what they've got to do is to get the pricing right and, and to attract more people. Yeah, I mean, BT haven't been helped by the fact that they, they can try and sell their Saturday morning slot as traditional as much as they like. But for most of us, you only really watch those games at 12 o'clock on the Saturday morning if you're in the pub before your own game. I always forget there's a game on at 12 o'clock on Saturday, to be perfectly honest. So that's been difficult for them. And then their coverage, you know, whatever you think about Sky, their coverage of the actual games is exemplary. Yeah. And, and BT, there are only so many ways you can show football and BT can only really copy what Sky had already done. So it's always been difficult for them. Two more news stories, Kieran, and I promise we will get to some questions. Um, the first one, Premier League and Championship clubs have been asked for expressions of interest to pilot safe standing areas, and we could all be drinking beer pitch side again soon. And not you, Kieran, obviously, but <laughs> uh, you, you'll be getting covered in it like the rest of us will be, um, because we can't drink properly in this country. Um, uh, how will this affect match day? Are, are these good things for clubs in terms of match day income? I mean, safe standing is an issue we covered right at the very start, and it's something that fans feel passionately about. I'm less convinced about drinking beer pitch side again. Of Oddly enough, all, all my mates are very much against that because mm. because you know I don't want it, I don't want every home game to be Croydon Box Park in the unlikely event we score. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but in, but in terms of in terms of the finances, will these make a significant impact? I, I think there will be zero impact. In fact, oh, you, okay. you know the costs of converting. Uh, you know, what, I, I have spoken to to one or two people. I said, "Well, okay, well, does this mean an increase in a, you know in, in potential attendances?" And it looks as if it's going to be a one for one swap. I, you give up one seat, and that's replaced by one, um, you know, one person on on the turnstiles. Now, there has been talk. Well, what happens? You know, could we could we squeak that out to one point one? Mm. Um, in which case, the clubs will get some more money. Um, and then there comes the issue of pricing. Is it going to be cheaper to stand than to sit? Yeah, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I, I go to watch the football. And I, I don't care whether, and yeah, when I go to a gig, I'll you know, yeah, to go watch a concert. Um, you know, it's it's normally more expensive to stand in some of the places because you're, you're that much closer mm-hmm. to the band. Um, and I tell you, when we were in uh, Dundee, this this was probably there was a covers band on the Saturday night, um, and they went from take a t- take a chance on me by ABBA to inflammable material by Stiff Little Fingers. Back to back songs, which was absolutely fantastic, you know, from my point of view. But well, that really uh, was, uh, yeah. I go, oh, I'm going. Go, go, what's this second song? I'm going. Oh, I, see, I, don't know. I have to explain it slowly. It, it, it sounds fantastic, Kim, but that to me sounds like four blokes who hate each other in a band. <laughs> couldn't find three other mates who wanted to play Stiff Little Fingers or Abba with them, so they just had to settle. I agree with you, though. I think there will be football fans, and I think every fan of an, an English club or a Scottish club listening to this will already in their mind identify the areas of the ground in which safe standing would probably be introduced at Sellers Park, you know, certainly where that yeah. home sale fanatics are. I think there are fans who would happily pay a premium to to be able to stand. Um, and I, I think as well there are a lot of fans who will be only too pleased to know that they will be able to sit in their seat without having to stand up. 
Yes, a lot of yeah. fans don't want to do that. So I think it's – but in terms of the finances, Kieran, surely they can't – I don't think a club would be able to get away. It just wouldn't be a good look. Even if fans were prepared to pay extra, it's not a good look if you know, Premier League clubs say, right, here you go, this is what you want in safe standing, but we're charging five quid more for it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I can't see them going higher, but those fans that think they're going to get a reduction – uh, I, I think they're in for a shock as well because right. th- there are costs of converting these seats. And also, should you um, qualify for European competition, I think under UEFA rules, you won't be yeah. able to get away with the, with the, uh, uh, with the terrace approach. So it, it's the, these rail seats or these rail stands are quite, quite easily converted back into seats. Um, in respect of the ability to bring alcohol and consume it, look, I've got to hold up my hands here. I, I don't drink, so but even my mates who drink, I think you you can survive forty five minutes. You know, even you, even I can go forty five yeah. whole minutes. Um, yeah. And but I but I have attended uh, rugby matches at Twickenham and and so on. And the one thing which really cheesed me off was yeah, we're sitting, we're watching the rugby, and it is every five minutes you're going up because there's a bloke with six yeah. pints. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to watch the football. or the you know, I'm, trying to, I'm, trying, sorry, I'm trying to watch the rugby. Surely you should be able to do that. You, you, can, get, you can get tanked up beforehand. You can, have a, you can get tanked up at halftime. You can even bring some back at halftime for the second half. Why you have to get up and down three or four times during the match as well. Yeah, now, I appreciate some people say, well, it's rugby and there's nothing. You know, you, you'd rather drink than watch the game. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that would be my concern. And then, as you rightly say, uh, you know, we, we do appear now to have this uh, part of modern day culture of thinking it's hilarious to to throw alcohol uh, mm. all over people. Um, you know, it's it's just a, it's just fucking idiocy. Yeah, well, it, see, it's not so bad for me because I I tend to come home with my clothes smelling a beer anyway, <laughs> so it's not too much of a problem. And as for the rugby, Kieran, you know my views. I'd be only too happy for a, a group of massive blokes to stand in front of me all the way through. The, the, <laughs> The, the standing thing does interest me, Kieran, especially the economics, because you know the Football Supporters Association and many fans groups in the past have argued that one of the only ways to prevent fans being priced out of the game continually would be to reintroduce safe standing. And I, I think a lot of them would, would be disappointed to learn, Kieran, that it's not likely to lead to any massive reduction in in, in ticket prices. Um, yeah, I, I think they will be disappointed, but uh, I, I personally, I, I can't see it. I mean, you know, where, where's the standing going to take place? It's going to take place behind the goals, yeah. which tend to be the cheapest places anyway. If you think about, you know, you, know, you normally pay a premium for the halfway line yeah, in true. most grounds. So uh, the clubs will argue it's going to cost us money to convert the seats if the government says... Uh, you cannot increase capacity on the back of this. And remember, there's things such as safety certificates to take into consideration. There are transport considerations to take into uh, into account as well. And it could be that you know, the, you know, uh, there will be other parties who could potentially object. It, it's going to be trickier to, to be able to squeeze a couple of extra thousand people. And the whole point is it is safe standing. So actually not yeah. being crammed yeah. in like sardines and, mm. you know, we... we, we we, we, we're fully aware of the worst excesses of what has happened when it came to yeah. poorly stewarded, poorly monitored, caged fans. You know, we're, we're not talking uh, about that anymore. But at the same time, if, if I am standing, and you know, I'm, I'm probably the same as you. Yeah, when I when I go to watch my team, I, I, I stand in the seats, and it and and that's fine. But it's not it's not it's unsafe standing because. You know, if, if if somebody does score, then then people are flying over the seats, or you you get somebody you know tapping you on the shoulder. You know, especially with me being six foot three and and a, a big lad, as it were, um, that uh, you know that they can't see. And then I'm going and I sit down. And of course, and, the, and, the, and we, we get the ball in the in the final third of the opposition half, and and you're up and down like a yo-yo, aren't you? So it's uh, I, th- I think it, if if it gives us the opportunity to have designated standing areas. Then that's great. Don't expect price reductions, but it makes it more difficult to justify standing in the seats elsewhere. So I, th- I think you know th- th- there could be benefits from that perspective. 
financially zero impact. Mm. I, psychologically, it's impossible to sit down at away games. I found. Yeah, I, I don't. I, something comes over you. You go into an away ground. I mean, I'm not sitting down here. Everyone's standing up. It's it's much more fun somehow. Last story, Ken. I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners will be aware of the work of the frankly brilliant Spanish journalist Guillem Balaga. Um, and this week he wrote on the BBC website about what he called the toxic financial battle ripping Barcelona apart from the inside, basically between the president and the manager. Uh, he also said that Barca were, and I quote, skint, potless, boracic, and broke. Um, Uncle Terry would point out, of course, that he said skint twice here because brassic lint is, of course, <laughs> rhyming. But the more pedantic will say he actually said it four times because it was a quadruple tautology. But his point's are a very valid one. How is it that a club like Barcelona have reached a stage where they simply, it seems, can't afford to get rid of their manager? Um well, the, the reason for this is that uh, Barcelona as a club uh, is, is is funded by the fans, you know, is a fan-owned club, and, and there are certain merits to that. But I think, you know, the that's being exposed as not necessarily a perfect system. Um, Kuman has a, a contract whereby if they do get if they do sack him, it works out as being very expensive. Uh, Laporta has gone on record. There's an awful lot of politics and briefing when it comes to the Spanish press. And, and, and I've heard Guillem uh, talk uh, himself. He's, he's actually come to the university and he's been, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, but uh, I think they were trying to sort of make him jump and he's going, well, if you can talk, if you can talk, if you're going to, if you're going to badmouth me to the press, I'm going to make this as awkward and as expensive for you as I can. Um I've been advised that that uh, Barcelona are have lost four hundred and eighty one million euro in a single year. So the last wow. thing they can do is afford a you know a an, an X million euro payoff, uh, which is going to be cash, of course, to uh, to the cook to, to Kuman. Um, I know Laporta is is he's trying to increase the size of the the board of directors. At Barcelona from twenty one to twenty five. To me, that sounds horrendous. If, if anybody's ever done any any management theory, they know that sort of you know the, the ideal size of a committee, should, you know, six to nine is is maximum. Uh, going from twenty one to twenty five is uh, is just going to cause trouble. So uh, yeah, it, it's a club with issues, um, and uh, the, the trouble is, you should, regardless of what you say, what you might think in private. In public, you should always try to have everybody lined up in the same direction, and uh, you know, pre- presidents and, and managers bickering is isn't clever. You know what stood out for me in this article, Kieran, uh, is the fact that Barcelona couldn't afford to buy Kuman out of his contract with the Netherlands national team, so Kuman bought himself out yeah. on the understanding, contractual understanding, that were Barcelona to sack him in under three years, they would repay the money that he spent to buy himself out, which is reckless short-term thinking. And I just wonder whether Barcelona and and one or two other big Spanish clubs are hamstrung by the fact that they have short-term presidencies, basically. So these people come in who are desperate to impress, and the only way to do that is to spend money regardless of whether the club has the money or not. Because I know we always say, well, Barcelona are fine. No one's going to bankrupt Barcelona. But these figues are eye-watering, Kieran. At a time when Spain, which was massively hit by the coronavirus, at a time when Spain is struggling financially, and Barcelona are just throwing money away hand over fist. It's not right. It's not clever. But um, you, you said it, reckless short-termism is is football. Yeah, you know, we, we look at we look at yeah, what's happened at Spurs. You know, they they got their their eighth choice manager this summer uh-huh. to come and join them. Um, my next door neighbour Paul, who who's a massive uh, Spurs fan, uh, you know, we say so we we were travelling back from Dundee today, so so our 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 son's been looking after Finley, but he he, he left at midday, um, and Paul said at half time he 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 came across because uh, he's got a, 
uh, he's got a spare key, and uh, he, he spent the rest of the afternoon playing with Finley and his wonky chomps uh, rather than watch his football team. It, it's uh, it's so you know, but but Spurs are now you know Spurs fans are now talking about sacking the manager, and we're six games into a season. Yeah, it's um, I quite like the idea of Finley being at home on his own, thinking, what's that strange howling noise coming from next door? <laughs> sounds, sounds like a dog in distress next door. No, I, I think it's interesting. We had a bit of an argument on a Palace pod a couple of weeks ago. I think we dodged a bullet in not getting Nuno, yeah. to be perfectly yeah, honest. Yeah, I think and right. I, I, think, I think Tottenham are as ruthless as Palace are when it comes to getting rid of managers who aren't doing well. But again, it's going to cost them a lot of money. It cost them a lot of money to get Nuno in, uh, yeah. And one of the reasons we didn't get him in is because he wanted to replace the entire coaching staff with his own people. But anyway, questions, Kieran. We will have time for quite a few of these questions, I think. Cause, and the first one comes from uh, Brody Bradford Tom, who's a regular contributor. Um, and Brody says that I found out recently that certain countries and regulatory bodies have different rules and how often companies are obliged to change their external auditors to prevent them from becoming too chummy. Uh, which for Finley would have a completely different name. Um, I was going <laughs> to, I won't say it for a certain magician's wife as well, but let's put two to go. Oh, oh, yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah. I'd, um, anyway, Brody said, I was wondering how often this happens in countries with major sports leagues. And is there a correlation between this practice and good finances at clubs where it happens? Do football governing bodies enforce themselves? Is there a UA for auditor or are companies like Deloitte's being used? And I, Imagine, Kieran, this question would have kept you busy on several parts of that train journey back from Dundee today. <laughs> it did indeed. Um, yeah, for, for those people who aren't familiar, the auditors were appointed by the shareholders to you know, do various things, but ultimately to, to try to ensure that the accounts which have been prepared by the board of directors are legit. Um, now, if if the auditors and the directors become busy mates... Uh, you effectively end up, yeah. You know, there's danger of, of marking your own homework, and, and yeah, it becomes yeah. quite difficult. So, under EU law, um, you, you're supposed to rotate. You're supposed to get new auditors in uh, once every ten years, or if, if it goes out to a public tender, it's once every twenty. Still, a long period of time. It, it is. Um, so, is yeah. there? A, I think I've probably asked you this before, Kieran, but you know my attentions about it. Is there a, a cutoff point above which it's compulsory to have auditors? Yes, yeah, it, it's based on the uh, the size of the company. Right. Okay. So, you know, 99% of companies in the UK are unaudited. 99% unaudited? Yeah. Oh, my goodness, okay. Um, so, you know, audit uh, is, is really for... For the, for the big organisations, yeah, we've just been talking about BT, for example. That doesn't stop the fraud. You know, you 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 Google BT and fraud, and yeah, you know, stuff will come up uh, with regards to that. They they had a big issue with with one of their overseas subsidiaries a few years ago, mm. um, and that wasn't anything to do with BT. Yeah, you know, that was you know things things happening which they could couldn't control. Um, so. That's that's where we are. Yeah, you know, the majority of clubs don't need to be audited, but they often choose to do so. It adds a bit of credibility, and, and there is this size threshold. In the UK, we we do have this light touch regime um, compared to say Spain. Uh, yeah, we, we've spoken before about the the economic cost control rules that operate in Spain. La Liga have got around about twenty accountants. They they actually know the the accounts of the the Spanish football clubs. Better than the, the football clubs do themselves. Yeah, you know, they really right. are like uh, a bunch of uh, you know, worker ants really getting stuck in. Um, in the UK, the vast majority of the clubs, certainly in leagues one and two, uh, are unaudited. Um, could the football authorities take the same approach as La Liga? Well, it, it comes down to resource. Now, uh, you know, the EFL ultimately is is owned by the is owned by the clubs you know it's a members organization do the and think about it from the club's point of view do they want greater scrutiny from central hq no so how do they avoid that well they just say well we're not prepared to fund it and and, yeah. and that's where we so you know the efl has 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 a few people involved but that they they can't run around you know that they are sim, they are under resourced 
Um, and the club owners will say, well, we, yeah, we don't want to spend more money on this because every extra, you know, you know, 50 grand, 100 grand that we spend on on this this uh, sort of monitoring procedure is is money, less money going to the clubs themselves. And, and we're all skinned to begin with. Um, so so that's where we are. Um, if, if you take a look at those clubs that, that are audited, I think uh, Manchester United, uh, they've had no rotation since uh, since the Glazers took over. And, and the, the auditors have trousered more than eighteen million pounds. You know, and some people say, "Okay, yeah, that's 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 a lot of money uh, for somebody to to give you a, effectively what is a thumbs up." And that's that's what the auditors do. Uh, you know, I, when I go, going back, yeah, we, we were talking in the last few weeks about me playing at Huff End uh, in South Manchester on a on a Sunday morning. We actually used to audit Manchester United and. We then lost the audit to Arthur Anderson, who were this, no. uh, oh. so, which, which was another reason oh. why. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When you know there, there was always a little bit of a uh, bit of afters, and uh, you know in those matches, you, know, you, you can imagine, you know, a, a, sl- a, a peak to countant, Kevin. Yeah, you know, that's you know that studs up nonstop, isn't it? And let's not forget, Kieran, these are the self-styled arrogant wankers, Arthur Anderson, yes. as we learned, as we learned from a question in last week's pod. They were furious that you actually called them uh, accountants when they're management consultants. Um, Jack McCowan, McEwen, Eva, is the treasurer of a grassroots youth football club, Aldershot Boys and Girls FC, and an avid listener of the podcast. Uh, Jack wonders what you think the financial impact on grassroots football will be post-COVID and says we expect people to be struggling financially and as a result be unable to afford the annual registration fees that the club relies on, meaning less young people playing football or us having to seek more and more outside funding to cover these fees so those young people can stay playing football. Now, we talk about Barcelona, Kieran, and it's interesting and fascinating, but, but this stuff is vital I think, for the mental, physical and social well-being of our country. So, you know, what is your view on, on the, the health of grassroots football? Well, well, first of all, you know, huge credit to Jack and, and everybody like him who, who give up their their time to to, to run these uh, grassroots kids kids football organisations. Yeah. It, it's, it's a thankless task. Um, but, uh, you know, nothing but admiration from me. Um, I, I am concerned uh, about where we are, we, we've seen a reduction in both uh, central and local government funding over the years uh, for publicly accessible pitches, um, making it more difficult. Or the prices, uh, you know, to to hire the pitch and to hire the changing rooms goes up and up. So therefore, you, you know, it, the, the cost of playing in a match is is becoming more expensive, um, and you know. W- Let's be honest. Yeah, and this isn't a party political issue. We've just seen universal credit cut by yeah, by a thousand pounds a year for some yeah. people. Doesn't doesn't affect others. Does affect some. Um, uh, so th- there is a cause for concern. Can local businesses get involved? Yes, they can. What's in it for them? Yeah, if we're honest, relatively little, apart from just being just being good fo- good people. Yeah. So um, th- there's no way that there's going to be increased funding. For, for grassroots. The only way that this could come about, and this is something that we have discussed uh, on the show, and you know, we've spoken to, you know, Tracy Crouch was on, and we've spoken to other politicians and so on, is that I'm firmly of the belief that the, the most successful, the biggest beneficiaries of the Premier League and football in this country over the last 25 years have been our friends in the betting industry. Yeah. Now, should there be some form of levy similar to, to what we yep. see in the horse racing industry, which goes into grassroots football? Yeah, in, in which in, in it just works out as 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 half a penny on each yep. one pound's worth of bets. Yep. That would raise a huge amount of money, and that could be ring fenced to you know. It could be given to the local FAs with a view to you know, focusing purely on youth football and so on. Um, I, I, the uh, the gambling industry can afford it. Uh, it's just that they don't want to give it up. Yeah, and the thing is, Kieran, we talk about the pyramid in this country. We love the pyramid. But below that, there are 
youngsters playing football for the sheer fun of it. It's just enjoyment. And also it's getting them out of the house. It's getting them fit. It's getting them to mix with other cultures. It's getting girls sometimes for the first time ever out of the house and mixing with girls from other cultures. This is this stuff is vital. It really is important. So if you're listening to this and you've got a business in Aldershot or Hampshire, Bung a, bung a few bob to, to all the shop boys and girls FC or, and to the and, league. And, and, we, and we will we will give you plenty of shout outs. So I can we, assure you. we we absolutely will. It won't be much to, to solve the problems of these these clubs and these leagues, but it, it's vital. Football's not just about providing players for the Championship of the Premier League. It's about fun. It's about running about. It's about getting muddy. I, I sorry, I sound like a, a Hovis advert, but <laughs> it, it really does mean a lot. Our next question comes from Gareth Slater, and it's it's relevant, Kieran. It's, it's, yes. It, it seems like a coincidence, but it's actually very relevant to a story we've already had. Um, and it's a question disguised as the plot of a Stephen King novel, <laughs> um, basically, because Gareth tells us that he had a job as a tax accountant, and some years ago met a director of a football club who offered him double his wages to become their tax accountant and double an accountant's wages, Kieran. That's a lot of money. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, well, Gareth says... Ah, no, Kieran, we haven't got the time to defend the accounting industry here, Kieran. <laughs> Seriously, I know, I know your views on this, Kieran, but we this is not the right forum. <laughs> anyway, you're a teacher now. You keep telling us that. Uh, I am. Yeah. Teaching other very wealthy accountants. Um, Gareth says he didn't take the job uh, for a number of reasons. It just didn't seem right, uh, which was lucky because the club owner then did time for money laundering. <laughs> Gareth is curious what would have happened if he had joined. Would I, says Gareth, have seen the books on the first day and then had to resign to avoid being implicated? Now, we don't know what club he's talking about, Kieran. You probably do. And Gareth has, no, Gareth has no evidence that, that they were actually involved in the owner's crime. But it's very interesting in the light of the Fleetwood story. And it makes you wonder how far down do the authorities go when they're looking for people to blame here? Would they, would they literally go down as far as the club accountant and say, well, you should have spotted this? Or would they just go, well, clearly he was kept out of the loop? It's it, it, it slightly worried me, this question, because it just shows you how easy it is to get mixed up in something you've got nothing to do with. Well, well, certainly as uh, as far as money laundering is concerned, yet one of the things you're trying to do is disguise uh, income and costs potentially. Mm. Uh, so if you're the tax accountant and it's to do with sort of the, the core revenues of the club, it, it might not be tax-related as a form of money laundering. But under the 2017 money laundering regula- regulations, you have a legal obligation to advise the National Crime Agency um, and, and and complete what's referred to as a suspicious activity report. Now, that's in respect of money laundering, anything to do with terrorism, or if you believe the company involved is dealing in criminal property, which, which takes me back to Uncle Terry and Billy the Fence, um, because... <laughs> Because when I when I was when I was about five or six, uh, Uncle, there, there used to be this fantastic Italian ice cream parlor called Ferraro's uh, in Southwark, mm. and uh, Uncle Terry, whenever he whenever he wanted to go and have a chat with Billy the Fence, uh, would tell my mum and my nan, "I'm I'm taking Kieran out because he's been a good lad, and I think he deserves a knickerbocker glory." So I, <laughs> I I've, I've always I've always had a soft spot. For people dealing in criminal property, because there would be there would be Uncle Tell and Billy, and they would be you know going off in whispers, and there'd be me sitting there um, as as the stooge with this enormous ice cream from Ferraro's, which was a fantastic traditional um, uh, Italian ice cream parlor, which was let's face it connected to certain other Italian families so who Uncle Terry knew. So it was all all linked together. Fantastic times. Kieran, Kieran, can I just take you back a few minutes, Kieran, to you taking umbrage not long ago at the idea that accountants got paid a fair amount of money and now you're openly admitting that you've got a soft spot for people engaging in criminal activities because you've got an ice cream out of it. Yeah, it's not just an ice cream. Yeah, we're six. Glory. Yeah, we're not talking. We're not talking a ninety-nine here. Oh, did, did it have a cherry on the top and the long spoon? Oh, no, full works. The absolute oh. full works. Oh, the long spoon. Oh. 
Oh, I used to like the banana split from Wimpy. Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did we, have we answered this question, Kieran? <laughs> um, yes. Yes, yes, I think okay. we have. We yes. have. Oh, um, okay. yeah, should, should, should Gareth resign only if he, has, uh, if, if he is suspicious of the activities taking place? Oh, it's, it's, uh, what happened to the ice cream pile? I'm guessing it burned down and then did it. Ben Gardner pulls off the impressive trick of sounding sarcastic in writing. Um, <laughs> ben, I salute you for that, because trust me, I know how difficult that is. Um, ben says, I'm sure we were all pleased to hear that the boss of Bet365, who owns Stoke City, was paid £421 million in salary last year. But I found it a bit confusing, and I can't work out why she would subject herself to 47% tax national insurance contributions, as well, presumably, as the company making its own contributions to national insurance. Surely there are far more tax-efficient ways to receive this income. Now, I was so suspicious of that figure, that annual salary of £421 million, as you know. Yes. I sent you a message on the train because I couldn't believe that that I, I assumed it was a misprint and it was either 4.21 million or 42.1 million but no she paid herself 421 million pound in salary last year yeah the the highest paid director of um any uh, of, of any company in the UK um and on t- on top of that the total directors pay, and normally to be a director of uh, Bet Three Six Five, it helps if your surname is Coates. Um, oh, so, oh, so yeah. this is so Denise Coates is the beneficiary of four hundred twenty-one, but other directors uh, they they chip in, family members total five hundred twenty-nine. Should they be paid that? Bet Three Six Five makes lots of money. You know, ultimately, the company yeah, is yeah. owned by its shareholders, uh, and it goes back to some of the earlier stories that we've been looking talking about today. Um, but I, I spoke to to my friend Catherine, the tax inspector, mm. um, and Catherine says uh, if they want to do that, uh, there's a couple of things which which could take place. First of all, they could uh, you know they own shares in Bet three six five, so they could pay themselves dividends. So I went into the small print, and on top of the uh, the four hundred and twenty one million pounds, uh, Denise Coates probably earned a further sixty million in dividends. Wow, exactly, um, and uh, you know, in theory, uh, Bet three six five could lend her some money. Now, yeah, I'm going. Hold on, that's just taking the Mickey. That is, you know, you're paying somebody the thick end of half a billion pounds, and then you're lending. But you know, from a tax point of view, that would be efficient. So, to, to an answer of Ben's question, um, yes, there are uh, tax planning. Uh, approaches which could be undertaken to be fair to denise coates I, th- I think she takes the view that she earns a lot of money and therefore she's prepared to pay a lot of tax mm. so um you know i i, I they, she her, her approach seems to be uh, appropriate in in that regard i've got no issue of people earning a lot of money here and if they play no. if they do pay the appropriate amount in tax i mean yeah. that's how yeah. That's how it works. Kira, I'm, I'm aware that we are um, overrunning slightly, so I'm going to take a – I was going to say a moral decision. It's not a moral decision at all, Kieran. It's an entirely practical. I'm going to jump two questions. Okay. Uh, and these people will never know if it was their questions being missed out or not. But I um, promise um, – um, Unless they take a look at my Twitter feed. Aye, sheesh. Uh, I've already put out my mind that. But, hey, uh, we, we, uh, we'll look at these ones next week. We guarantee these ones will be covered next week. Well, I'm going to have to tell them now. Well, it's Paul, it's Everton, and it's 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 QPR and Football Index. Paul Cullen, the Conor McGregor. I really apologise. It's nothing to do with you personally, and I'm aware that you'll be listening to this thinking that the time you've taken to explain that you're not reading out my <laughs> questions, you could have read out at least one of the questions, but I promise we will get to your questions in the next part, unless, of course, something else happens at Fleetwood and Barcelona, in which case, take it up with them, basically. So we're going, It's we're not going, our fault, it's theirs. We're, exactly. So we're going straight to uh, uh, the lucky winner of the next question is Nigel Phillips. Now, this is an interesting one, uh, and it's, which is why I'm asking it. And I'm not implying Connor or Paul that your questions weren't interesting. It just just wasn't their week. Basically, this is how things happen. Sounded like Simon Cowell. Then it just wasn't your week. <laughs> um, but I'm also asking this question because it's a plug for a guest that we've got coming on. Nigel Phillips says, given the shambolic leadership of the National League during the pandemic, which was something we covered at length 
at the time. What would stop the EFL forming a new division and inviting 24 National League teams to join it? After all, nearly half the current National League teams have been in the EFL and many are full-time and it would possibly lead to the sort of regional divisions that a lot of people have been arguing for. Um, in our next pod, we'll have uh, an, op- an opportunity to ask the EFL, Kieran, because we've got an interview with their chief executive, Trevor Birch, coming up. Um, it's one of many questions. If you think this is a long pod, I've got a feeling the Trevor Birch interview <laughs> is going to be a particularly long pod. Um, Derby fans, you can send in as many questions as you want. I probably won't ask most of them because um, I don't think he's double-jointed for a staff. But <laughs> uh, but it's, this is an interesting one, Kieran, because it was it, it, it is quite clear that there was a level of unhappiness with the leadership of the National League during the pandemic. And I'm guessing that quite a few of the club owners that we spoke to in the National League would only be too happy to be part of the EFL umbrella. Yes, they would. Now... It all comes down to we've got a certain pie of money. We've got this big money pie, and how are we going to cut that up? Um, I think the EFL would be quite happy to take on the responsibility for for, for more of the professional game. And you know, uh, Nigel was absolutely right. Uh, practically every club in the the National League itself, and, and also a significant number of clubs in National League North, are full time. Yeah. Um, so. Could they join the EFL? Yes. But presently, um, under the terms of the EFL TV deal, clubs in the championship get 10 times as much money as clubs in League Two. So, you know, we, yeah. We've highlighted there's a big gap between the Premier League and uh, the championship. Well, there's, there's big gaps in the EFL as well. And then when you drop from League Two to the National League, again, there's another huge gap in in percentage terms. So it all comes down to can we come up with a distribution model? Um, And I know I'm a broken record on this. The gaps are too big. If we can come up with a smooth transition from division to division, mm. and th- this was one of the issues that I, I did discuss with with Mike, who was the uh, who's who's the chairman at uh, at our broth um, yeah. on on Friday night. He's I, yeah, one, I asked him the question: you you break even every year, as do the vast majority of Scottish clubs, and his reply was, well, we. We don't gamble. We don't shoot for the moon. If we mm. get promoted, yes, we will get some extra money, but it is not the the crazy numbers that yeah. arise when you go from the championship to the Premier League. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's getting that distribution model right. Um, and I've been working with – I can't say I've been working with some – senior people in the world of football and you know my my spreadsheet is you know it's, it's practically on on fire at times you're just blazing through changing the numbers changing the numbers and trying to get something which works which is reasonable to all concerned is actually practically impossible it's not i'm not saying it is impossible but it's it's a really tough gig so um i, I think the efl would be amenable i think the clubs in the national league would be amenable um, but what are what would be the rewards for the fifth tier of of professional English football? Um, you know, it, it would it, it's that's going to be the problem. Mm. And as a matter of interest, Kieran, are both are breaking even on crowds of what three thousand a week? No, no, they they that uh, they are actually one of the they are part they're a part time team. They were, I think, in league. Uh, you got the Scottish Premiership, Championship, League One, League Two. When they were in League One, they were probably getting around about six hundred. Um, oh, they've been wow. promoted to the Championship. They've been averaging fourteen hundred on Friday night. Uh, Kilmarnock, you know, the Kilmarnock brought practically a thousand uh, to uh, to Kayfields, and uh, so the crowd there was two thousand four hundred and twenty. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I'm sure they made a lot of money on catering. Uh, by the way, folks, if you've if if you're looking for a, a food stuff which is going to take your life to a new level, the um, the the Arbroath pie of steak and black pudding is something which you must add to your list. 
an amazing pie. Um, and and uh, I I uh, I ate two of those. Um, so have got, yeah, have we got new sponsors this week, Kieran? Have, have, I, have I not been told by the, <laughs> this week's show is brought to you by the Arbroath Steak? And oh, you you had two pies, did you? Because as I say, when you talk about their catering money increasing on Friday night, it's not from you, is it? Well, yeah, they. It was the least I could do. I, yeah. I, I was, I was. I, some things make you fall more back in love with football, and this was one of them. Well, I, I well, no, I remember going to see Cowden Beef play Queen of the South with a load of other comedians, and it was one of the most joyful afternoons I've had in my life. Um, I, I know, Kieran, you're the only person in your family who doesn't have uh, a nickname. Um, or a set of numbers underneath their photograph. Uh, so from now on, you're going to be Two Pies Maguire. That's your nickname. That's right. when, when you come to when you come to the Paulsons last row, here he is, old Two Pies Maguire. <laughs> wow. Now we have a question from uh, Stateside. Nobody ever says outside of films. Sean Mooney says that my friends are exploring a management buyout of a second division pro club in North America, i.e. not MLS. Having worked in M&A, says Sean, they've reached out to me for valuation help. And while I have no trouble building an Excel valuation, I need to learn more to see if there are any unknown unknowns that I'm missing in my model. Can you recommend any books or blogs, etc., to take me on a deep dive into football finance in, and valuation? I'll leave this to you, because I generally don't know if M&A is a career a university <laughs> or a town, but it's a, or a suite. <laughs> well, it, it's in the Viz Profanosaurus as well, um, but that's, that's another issue. Yes, it is. We've just gone over the hour, and let's let's not <laughs> yes. let's not annoy Guy even further. You know how much producer Guy loves it when we take little trips down the <laughs> Viz Profanosaurus. <laughs> um, in terms of the the models, Sean, yes, you, you can do a DCF model using Excel. The trouble is with that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I guess it's it's slightly easier in the states because you've got the sealed leagues, and therefore there's no promotion and relegation to to necessarily have to factor in or out. Um, but you also have to go and pay your fans franchise fees as well. Um, the, the best thing to do is is to find out what uh, other other franchise owners are paying for these clubs in, in recent times. Um, there, there, there is a book out which does have a chapter on, uh, on on how to value a football club, but I'd feel embarrassed saying what the book was. So um, <laughs> I, I would, uh, I, I can't say anything more than that. Okay. Well, on a similar note, uh, Callum Whitaker, at the end of a lovely email, uh, thanking us for keeping him sane during his work in the vaccine task force, which means we should be the ones thanking you, Callum. Uh, Callum says he's read both our books and enjoyed them very much, but could you recommend any others on how the British football industry works? Um, yeah, and first of all, Callum, I'd just like to say on behalf of the whole country, thank you. Yep. Thank you, thank Absolutely. you. Yep. Yeah, we are we are hugely in, in your debt and all of your colleagues. Um, and... Uh, you know, as for the nitwits that think you know, you know, you're you going to fall into, uh, you know, have a love affair with uh, Bill Gates because you got a vaccine, I, I just, I just, just despair at, at the the spectacular cluelessness of some people. Talk to a doctor or somebody on the front yeah. front line of of the NHS. But I'll, I'll get off that particular soapbox. Well, I'll, I'll join you there for a moment because I'm I'm fairly certain there will be a direct correlation between. Uh, vaccination and the number of idiots panic buying petrol yesterday, which led to yes. a shortage of petrol. I would, my guess would be eighty-five percent of those dicks in cars weren't vaccinated. But anyway, we can't prove any of that, Kieran. So let's move on. But um, yes, can you recommend any other books? Not that you would need another book, Callum. I mean, that's an implied insult. But obviously, you're a nice chap and didn't mean it. But are there anything anything else out there? Until Swiss Ramble coughs up with his book, is there anything? <laughs> um, Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I would certainly recommend uh, Soconomics by Stefan Szymanski, uh, which has been around for around about 10 years now. He's, he's, a, he's a proper professor of uh, of the world of finance. Yeah, um, Daniel Gee's book, Done Deal. Uh, Daniel looks at it from sort of a law point of view, uh, as well as the fact that he has acted on behalf of uh, of people um the the secret football agent um yeah. I, I don't know who wrote that 
for for this clue in the title of the book, but actually it was quite revelatory uh, in terms of the contents. Uh, Champagne football uh, by Mark T and uh, Paul Rowan. Uh, that's how not to run a football club. It's it's the equivalent of Peter Hook's uh, revelations of his time at the Hacienda. Uh, in terms of how not to run a club, that's all about the uh, the, the, the scandalous things which happened in the Irish FA. Um, I'm, I'm not really one for football biographies. Um, I, I tend to find them a bit trite, but it's one guy called uh, Ben Smith who who wrote one called Journeyman about mm. what it's like to be a lower league footballer, and uh, I, I think it it knocks. Uh, you know, it, it knocks all of these accusations of uh, you know what an easy life footballers have um, into uh, into a cocked hat. To be frank with you, so those were the ones that uh, you know you, you might want to consider. Uh, yeah, they're all you know pretty pretty detailed stuff. Uh, our good friend Nick DeMarco has written a book on football and the law, but I think it's I think it's sixty quid, um, which is uh, you know. If it if it was uh, if my uncle Terry one wrote one about football and avoiding the law, that would probably be, <laughs> probably be a bit cheaper and, and and a few more anecdotes. Well, also I love Nick DeMarco, but I'm guessing it's sixty quid an hour to read his book. I <laughs> <laughs> just paid for the book. Um, thank you for those book recommendations, Kieran. Thank you to everybody who sent in a question, including the two people who didn't get read out, but will do next week, I promise. Uh, thank you to everybody who's made a small monthly contribution to our always free-to-air podcast. If you want to join them, then go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have any questions for our next questions e- uh, pod, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. Um, and just for once, Kieran, you can have the rest of the night off because given that we're overrunning, we won't have your customary farewell. We'll just both say goodbye. Um, I almost said good luck for tonight but I can't <laughs> no we, we can't Let's, we can't do that no absolutely no we can't um, no we can't and, and also it's, it's it's quarter past 10 on Sunday and I've I've had already a couple of taps on the door from the Baroness because she wants to go and watch the last episode of Vigil oh, so I need to leg it what she wants to do is go to a bedroom where there's no picture of Dennis the Menace Kieran is what she wants <laughs> yes. to do <laughs> yeah bye gang <laughs> now listen for the sound of carry on footsteps going up the stairs really quickly <laughs> and a swanny whistle the price of football Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.